The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. You can go ahead and take a seat. What a great morning we've had to worship our God and our King and to prepare our hearts for this Christmas season. Who's already maybe a little bit... uh, I don't know what I want to say, overwhelmed, but just uh, like Christmas, the holidays are upon us. We've already had multiple Christmas parties and multiple things that have been demanding of our time, and we're almost just like bombarded by it, and it's only December 3rd, right? Anybody feeling that way, or are you guys still pretty like uh, excited for it? It's like, no, it's Christmas. This is great. Like, right? Well, a little bit of both, maybe, maybe, hopefully. Hopefully not too overwhelmed, but we do want to uh, keep our attention on what is most important, on uh, the remembering back on Christ's first coming, and also gives us this eager expectation for his second coming. And so that's the beauty of this season. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. If you've maybe been a part of a traditional church or something that uh, uh, makes this a big part of December, it's, uh, it's obviously on our mind uh, here. And do just want to recognize it and also just commend it to you to take the, uh, make the most of this season as you lead your families in your own life to uh, not get uh, distracted by the consumerism and all the things that uh, uh, try to hijack uh, this great uh, season that we are in as believers of the coming of Christ and coming as a baby. And so I would just uh, recommend a few things for you to help keep your focus on what is important. Um, If you have a family and kids, this is something that my wife and I are doing. Um, I'll email a link later today if you're curious about this. My wife put this together. It's a little daily um, coloring book thing here with scripture references across the bottom. This is Malachi's. Gemma also has one. It's not as neatly colored because she's only two. But uh, we have this, and in the morning, uh, we read the passage that's at the bottom, and, uh, and then the kids are coloring as I'm reading it and just making a few brief comments. But if you have children, I would highly recommend this too, um, especially young children. Even if you don't have children, the verses that are at the bottom are very helpful for you uh, to kind of walk you through it, uh, what this season means, and uh, Old Testament passages that prophesied of the coming of Christ, and, uh, um, and then the fulfillment of that in Jesus, in the Gospels, and all that. So those are there. But also, just uh, for adults, um, there's, there are multiple different things on like the Bible app on your phone that you can get, just daily reading plans. Um, our, our friends at Vertical Worship, uh, with Vertical Church Band and whatnot, they've created one called Advent Adoration. You can find it on their website. I think it's called verticalofficial.com. I'll send the links out later. Um, but it is also in the Bible app. You know, who has the little version Bible app on your phone? Most of you? Yeah, it's a super handy tool, isn't it? And if you just go into their reading plans and uh, search for Advent Adoration, you'll find it there. It began on the first, so you'll have to make up a few days, but I would just commend that to you in this season to keep our focus on what is most important and to be proactive in, uh, in fighting against all the things that will drain you and consume you in uh, this season. So that's just a little bit of an intro here. So take out your Bibles. Let's get into First Thessalonians. Ready for it? First Thessalonians, 
We'll be in chapter three today. Um, we're going to be in this, just so you know where we're going, we're going to be in this uh, one final time and then taking a break from Thessalonians. We'll come back to it in February. Next weekend, like I said, we'll be talking about small groups. We'll look at the uh, biblical necessity of those. The week after that, then we'll have a Christmas message. And Well, those two weeks on the 17th and, and then Christmas Eve, um, we'll have a more Christmas focused messages. Also, just as a little teaser, um, super excited on the 17th to kick off our Christmas series. We actually have a, another church planter within our fellowship that's going to be here bringing the word. I'll be here, don't worry. But uh, I've asked him to come. He's a very good friend of mine. He and I have been friends since junior high, and he's now actually planting a vertical church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He just finished up the training center. He's getting on the ground. And so uh, super exciting that we can come alongside him. Uh, we're a church planting church, as we've talked about uh, multiple times here. It's just in our DNA. And even though we're so young, we're in this uh, season of still being planted. Is uh, it's not We're not too young or it's not something that's out there that we want to do eventually. Even now, we're invested in planting churches both here in the U.S. and abroad. And so things happening in Haiti and our partnerships there and whatnot. But that he's coming on the 17th. His name is Jesse and excited for him to be here. All right, enough of that stuff. You're, uh, you guys are like, Blair, just stop talking, giving us announcements. Let's get to the Bible, right? That's, where the, that's what we're all here for. We want the Bible. Will you remember here that uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians. We are uh, planting a church as we've been doing is an effort to build what lasts, right? It's an effort to build what lasts. 1 Thessalonians has been our guide showing us how to pray, how to lead, how to follow, how to grow, how to love the Bible. And today, our passage here, these 10 verses, are going to show us how to love one another. And so we could really... Um, well, we could sum up this, uh, this, this section here that we're, I'm going to read in just a moment. We could sum it up like this. A church built with love is a place I want to be. A church built with love is a place I want to be. Now, follow along here as I read this section, and you'll see why I say that. We're in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 to 10. Paul's speaking here and he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Did you see that there? 
Do you see here why I would say that a church built with love is a place that I want to be? Did you hear the emotion in Paul's uh, own writing for his longing to be with them and their desire to also see him once again? You remember the context here. Paul was there and with Silas and Timothy, they had seen much growth. God had done a great and, and awesome work among their church and then they got torn away. And so they, they've, the time has passed now. He's uh, probably in the city of Corinth. Corinth, and, uh, and they've reconvened. They've tried to get back. You remember that from chapter two? They tried over and over and over. Satan had hindered it. He couldn't. And so he sent Timothy this time. But you see this love, right? You see the warmth, the warmth that is necessary for spiritual growth. Love is necessary. Like warm weather and sunshine that flowers need to bloom, the, the gospel seed being, being that seed, the truth being a fertilizer. Well, love is the sunshine and the warmth that causes faith to grow, and he wants to be there. And therefore, just like us, as we grow as a church, we must grow in our love for one another. Just like Paul had for the people there, we too must have love for one another or we will be stunted in our growth or we, will, we, won't, we won't get beyond just superficial relationships together. So let's look closer at how to do that. I just want to take you just briefly through here on what love feels. What love feels? A church built with love is a place I want to be. Love involves both a feeling and things that they do. This isn't an exhaustive list, but just look at here as you just get the gist, get the feeling of what is taking place here, of the relationship that exists. First, love feels concern. Feels concern, concern for their well-being. Do you see this here in verse one here? He, he says, we, we could bear it no longer. There was a, a, a healthy concern for their well-being. In verse five, he, he says the same thing, but I could bear it no longer. So I sent to learn about your faith. Love feels concern for the well-being of another person. It also feels comfort. You see this in verse 6, Timothy's returned. Uh, we feel comfort when, when the other person is doing well and is growing in their faith. They feel comfort. 6, verse 7, all our distress, we've now been comforted about you, says there. But also, love feels gratitude. Gratitude for God's work. Do you see this in, in verse 9? For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? Love is thankful for God's work in your life. Love is thankful that God keeps you. Love is thankful that he is at work in and among those that we love the most. But it also feels joy. Do you see that in the end of verse 9? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. For the mutual friendship. Love feels joy for the friendship. Love feels joy for in the, in the mutual um, growth that happens in, uh, in and through one another's presence and time together. There is a feeling that love feels these things. But what about, here's the real question, is about what, that's what love does, but what, or that's what love feels, but what does love do? And what about when I don't feel anything, right? How do we cultivate these things? Well, here's something that somebody once told me. When you do the things that love does, then you will feel the things that love feels. 
So even when we don't feel this way, we, we just do the things that love does and you will start feeling the things that love feels. And this is, this is just a universal principle of our duty and our delight in the things that God is doing. And they work together and when one is lacking, when I'm not feeling the things that I maybe know that I should be, then I do the things that I do and that helps to cultivate those feelings then. And then vice versa. When I'm feeling it, then and maybe what I'm doing is lacking. We, 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 we continue to do it because those things pick up the slack where the other is missing. But the bulk of the message here is not necessarily on what love feels, but on what love does. On what love does. And so look at these first few verses again in chapter 3, 1 to the beginning of verse 3 here. Love adjusts to changes in circumstances. If we want to be a church built with love, then we have to embrace that, that that things don't always go according to plan. Circumstances change in relationships and whatnot. And so just look here, like what happened. Paul, he kept trying, right? He kept trying to see them. We saw that back in chapter 2 there. And now he's been hindered. It wasn't going to happen that he was going to get there. So he adjusted the plan and he sent Timothy, right? Out of his great love for the well-being, the spiritual growth of the Thessalonians, he adjusts to the changes in the circumstances. And so he sends Timothy. Notice what he calls him there in verse 2. These are great terms. He says, our brother. That's a, a familial connection. Here these guys have been working together. They have a connection to the church and to the people there in Thessalonica. And he calls him a brother and what? And God's co-worker. How cool is that, right? To think of one another like that. Like we are, as a body of believers, as a people committed to the Great Commission, to seeing God glorified here in our church and in this city and in the cities around us and really across the globe, that we are God's co-workers in Christ. That's pretty cool to think of it that way, isn't it? Like as we work together, Greg and I, were, he's my co-worker, not, but not only my co-worker, he's my brother and he's God's co-worker in the gospel as we work together to see that good news of Jesus Christ advanced. That's what it's about. God's co-worker in the good news, in the gospel. What is the gospel? You know it? Have you embraced it? Do you love the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that man has sinned, that we have been separated through our sin from holy God, and that the only way to to be right with him is through repenting of that and through faith in Jesus Christ, through what Jesus did. That's the very reason why we celebrate that God himself became a man. He became flesh and he dwelt among us, that he was the only one to live a perfect life and to live a life that pleased God with everything that he thought, everything that he said, and everything that he did. He was the only good person. He was the only innocent person to live on this earth. And yet he was the one who paid the penalty. He was the one who died on the cross. He came for that very purpose. That was his mission, to die on our behalf, to be our substitute, to take the penalty that was due to us. And then we, in turn, we get the benefit of that. We get the benefit of that. When we recognize and repent of our sin and then place our faith in Christ, then we are made right with God again. That's the good news. And that is the co-worker, that's the work, that's the business which we are about. What an awesome opportunity that we have, even in this Christmas season, to be mindful of the opportunity, the platform that we have. Yes, maybe it's been hijacked by consumerism and Santa Claus and all the other things, but the platform that we have to say, wow, what a great season that Jesus would do this on our behalf. 
God's co-workers in doing and advancing that message. That's what Timothy was sent for, adjusting to the changes in the circumstances, but not the change in the mission, right? There's no change in the mission, no change in the work to be done. Paul himself was hindered, so he sent Timothy to do what? Look what, uh, where it goes, at how chapter, or verse 2 rather ends. He says to do this, to establish and to exhort you in your faith. What does this mean here? He sent him to do this. To establish really means to, to strengthen, okay? to gird up, to put up supports, to buttress, to, to, uh, to make it stronger. So Timothy was sent to teach them. They were young in the faith, and so to teach them doctrine. That's what doctrine does. As each point of doctrine, things like justification by faith and sanctification, all these big words, big Bible teaching things, those are things that you and I need to support us in the faith. They're those piers that get sunk down deep into the ground so that our faith, when it's tested, won't move to establish or strengthen, but also to exhort. Not just to come teaching and strengthening, but also to exhort. We saw this a few weeks ago, back in chapter two, in the definition or in the description of leadership and what a leader does like a father, to exhort. Do you remember what that was? That means to come alongside, right? Timothy was also sent to walk with them. Not a, hey, you're down there in the faith, and why don't you come up to here where I'm so mature? But no, coming down and walking with them, right? Walking with, establishing, strengthening, coming alongside, walking with people to apply the truth, particularly through trials and afflictions. And we need both, especially when we're struggling, especially when there's difficulty, right? We need the strong uh, teachings of the doctrine. We need to be strengthened, but we also need a friend to walk with us, right? This is what we do. This is what we, what we need. And so with that, knowing that's the mission, out of great love for people, we adjust to the changes in the circumstances, but not in the mission. We continue going. You ever been, you ever done something like that, right? Been building a project, you know, sewing something, I don't know, building a doghouse or maybe something bigger, maybe something more simple like doing a puzzle and then you got stuck and you kept trying and like you couldn't find the piece, you couldn't find, you didn't know that maybe how to solve this problem here. So what do you need to do? You need to adjust the, to the change, right? You need to adjust, you need to go and figure out where you're missing, go watch some YouTube videos or whatever to uh, strengthen your understanding, get some help and uh, continue on out of trying to complete the project in which you are engaged in. Love won't let us quit. As a church, we can't let us quit. We can't, we, out of love for one another, yes, circumstances will change in our life, but we have to continue on. And so think of it, think of it this way. Um, here, as we love one another, as we are building what lasts right now, what we're doing, yes, circumstances will change, but, but our love for one another won't, can't let us uh, withdraw or give up. You know, here's, here's a real life example. And as we begin small groups, here, I'll just head off a, a, maybe a temptation that you might have. As in small groups, we have a, uh, we do what's called pulpit curriculum. We want to uh, take what is the passage and the message from Sunday, and then small group is that time where you can really make more specific application. You can take it and put it into your life and think about these uh, things in a more specific, personal way with people that know you and with people that, that love you. And that's so vital to our faith and to our growth in Christ Jesus. And that's what, that's what we need. Not just always more information, but we need more application of the things that we are learning and putting into practice. And so our tendency can be, well, let's say we miss church on Sunday, 
because we're sick or maybe we're serving in redemption kids or whatever. And, uh, and so then we can be tempted to, to miss a small group because, well, I didn't listen to the sermon or whatnot. I didn't, I didn't get it. And so then we've now just missed two opportunities for growth. Can I just encourage you as we begin these things, don't, don't let that be... Don't let that be uh, a reason for missing all that God has for your growth and whatnot and just missing it completely and going multiple weeks without growing in your faith of growing here. This, this, the worship service is what unites us here together. And so that's why you just adjust. If, you, if you've missed it, hey, guess what? We've got our messages on, uh, on podcasts. In the first of the year, our goal is to be able to actually have them on video as well. So if you miss, you can just go watch it. You can get it. And then uh, you can call, you could call somebody to get the recap as well to see if I made sense, if I was clear enough and simple enough and, and, uh, and then test people. You can call AJ uh, each week if you miss and get uh, him to recap it for you. And uh, I'm just putting him on the spot right here. But uh, you can get his uh, synopsis of it and, uh, and then still go and still continue to grow in your faith, even if you've missed it. So do you see what I'm saying there? Love is what, it's pursuing growth it, and it's adjusting. It's not letting changes in circumstances uh, hinder us from the mission that God has put before us and to be building a church, making disciples here in our city. Even as this happens though, love adjusts, keeps pursuing the growth, but it also here, secondly, look, it trusts the sovereignty of God. It trusts the sovereignty of God. See how uh, verse 3 ends. He says, uh, knowing that you've been moved by afflictions, hoping that this happened. He says, you yourselves know that we were destined for this. You know, even when our circumstances have changed, that doesn't mean God's have changed. Everything is going according to plan. It's not as if God has fallen asleep on the job or he, he never has to adjust. God never reacts. He only acts. And the sovereignty of God here is one of those deep piers that are sunk down deep into the ground that our faith is tethered to. And now sovereignty is a big word. Really what we mean by the sovereignty of God is that God has complete control over every detail that happens in this universe. Nothing escapes his attention. Nothing escapes his uh, sovereign moving and working in that. And I admit that blows our mind. But we see that across the pages of scripture here. Not just in Thessalonians, but from Genesis to Revelation. This is an overarching theme. And it is a beautiful thing that is anchored down deep into the ground that we then tether our life to. That even when my life seems to be spinning out of control, even when things are difficult, I'm going to press on. I know that God is good. I can continue to love and I continue to have faith in doing this. This is what keeps us from toppling over in the midst of trials. You see Paul's here. You see kind of his, his, uh, his you know, in love, he's saying, I told you so, right? He's saying, you know this. I we told you that you would be tested. I told you that these things were happening and it would happen. And now they are. Let me remind you, just as your pastor, that following Christ is not the life of comfort, right? How is it said other places that for those who follow Christ, they will experience trials. They will experience persecution. We live in a world that is hostile to the gospel, even in the Bible Belt, even here in Texas. And so you will experience difficulty in your life. Things may not always go according to plan, but this does not nullify the goodness of God, does it? 
No, this doesn't. It's actually the opposite. It actually demonstrates, God, that God cares enough not to just leave you alone, but to use even difficult circumstances, even difficult circumstances to refine you. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's discomfort in that. Paul himself was aware of that. That's what he says in verse 5. He's aware of this. You know, he was fearful that somehow these these, uh, young believers may be tempted to walk away, to just give up on it. That they hadn't fully tethered their their faith and their trust and the sovereignty and the goodness of God, even in the midst of difficulties. Have you ever had an experience like that? Maybe you've shared the gospel with with somebody and uh, they were young in their faith and then you were were separated for for some reason. You know, they moved away or you moved away or maybe it was a college student or a young person or something and they were young in their faith and then just circumstances of life got kind of separated. And then you were worried like, what's going to happen? Are they going to continue to follow the Lord? I experienced this every week when I was in camp ministry. Right? Kids would come and they would be, uh, God would save them. They would grow in their faith. And then we didn't always have a connection to them after camp. And so we'd send them back into their home and, and some had a church life, some not. And, and there was just a concern that somehow they might be tempted, somehow that they, would, that they would walk away from the Lord. And what it came down to is a deep trust in the sovereignty of God that if they were truly his, God would keep them in the faith right? He would. He would. He would keep them in the faith. And so let me just ask this. What affliction, what temptation are you experiencing right now? Is it at work? Is it a sickness or an illness? Is it a thorn in the flesh, a sin that you can't shake? Is it threatening to shipwreck your faith or even your your life? Well, don't face it alone. Look around here. There's a room full of people who love you. It's no accident that you're here this morning, you're sitting next to the people that you're sitting next to, that this passage of scripture is open. This is all according to God's sovereign plan. Even in the midst of affliction, God has given you the body of Christ to walk with you, to, to, to love you. He, he in his kindness has put you here so that we can walk together knowing this, that everything is going according to plan. That's a deep thing. Write that down if you haven't. Embrace this, that everything is going exactly according to plan. Paul knew it. We knew it. Love tells us that this is the case. But look here. Look at what, where our passage takes us after this. Not only do we adjust to changes, not only do we trust in the sovereignty of God, but love mutually cares for one another. This is, this is what love does. Look at where he goes here. Timothy had gone. He sent Timothy. And now verses 6 to 10, Timothy has returned. And this is what he has brought back. That this love mutually cares for one another. And this is so fascinating. Look at verse 6 here. He says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the what? Look at those two words there. Brought us the, answer me, you can. The what? The good, the good news. The good news, where have we just heard this? Just a few moments ago, right? This is what's interesting here is this word here in in the original language is actually the same word for the gospel. The good news of Jesus. You've heard me say that, right? You've heard me say the good news of Jesus. And now Paul is likening this same news that he has come back, this news of their growth in the Lord is just like the good news of the gospel, how, how fascinating is that? that? That he's returned now and he has this, this, that they're growing in faith, right? You see that there? And love. 
and also that they, he's reporting here there's an affection for Paul and they look forward to also seeing him. We know that he longs to see them, but this is mutual. It's mutual back, report, uh, back and forth. And this, this report brings sweet relief. You see that in verses seven and eight? He says, oh, our distress, our affliction. We, he's been worried sick about how they've been doing and if they've been growing in the Lord and now he's comforted. And look at how he says in verse eight, like this is actually probably saying, now we actually really live. My, his concern was so great that his life was on hold that now he can get back to life. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Maybe somebody was sick, somebody was in the hospital, there was something going on and everything in your life got put on hold, right? All attention, all focus was on this and until you got answers to how they were going to be doing or what was happening in their life, you couldn't even live because you were so concerned for it. That's what Paul is saying here, that he was separated from these young believers. He loved them so much. He was concerned for their spiritual growth and well-being that his life was basically on hold. He was thinking about them constantly. Now, we know he was continuing to do other things, but they were constantly on his mind. And he's saying, now that Timothy has brought this report, now I can live hearing that you are standing fast in the Lord, that your feet are firmly planted. You are not going back and forth. Can you feel this? Can you feel the, the, the mutual, the two-way street that love is? You see this here, that it's back and forth, right? Paul, as their pastor, as their leader, has this mutual concern for them. Silas and Timothy, the same, and that is reciprocated back to Paul. They long to see him. They remember his ministry among them with kindness and, and love. And so we say it like this, love is a two-way street, right? Pure, genuine, biblical love. If we want to be a church built on love, this is a two-way street. Idolatry is a one-way street, right? Idolatry is a one-way street. You may love, you know, love a superstar. You know, you may love LeBron James, but let's just be real. He don't love you back. And if your love for him, he, he probably don't even know you exist. But if your love for him is, is uh, too deep and too affectionate and too longing to love him and your life is consumed by him, if you don't know who LeBron James is, he's probably the best NBA player in the history of the world. Debatable, Michael Jordan, you know, all that. But, or anybody, any famous person, maybe it's a movie star. But if we love them too much, they don't love us. That's just idolatry. And it's not just in people. It can be other things. It can be other objects or whatever TV shows. You know, a one-way love is just idolatry, okay? But love, a biblical love here, is a two-way street. We already know Paul's love for them, right? That's all over chapter 2. We know how he longed to be with them. But here we see that this, the feeling is mutual, as they say, Right? The feeling is mutual. They both long to see each other. And so a church worth imitating, if we want to be a church that is growing in the Lord, that is a church uh, that is following after Christ, that is seeing lost people saved, saved people matured, mature people multiplied, then a mutual love for one another is the key. And here's, here's just a reality. Paul, he, he, he was needful of their love as well. Paul needed it. And, you know, this is, just reminds us that there's this two-way street between pastors and leaders and the people, everybody. There's, there's this mutual love and respect for one another. Because, you know what? We're, we're people too. And honestly, just, you know, in a moment of candidacy, uh, candid, candidness, not candidacy, I'm not running for anything, but in a moment of candidness, uh, I'm thankful for your love and concern and support of me and, and Aaron. 
You know, we're people too. And so those that, that text and, and call and care about us, that is so, I just really mean it. It means a ton to us. It is so encouraging. Because it's, a, you know, we can forget that, that uh, you know, we're not immune to things like discouragement, to affliction and distress, as he says. So we need your prayers. We thrive, leaders thrive off of, their, of other spiritual fruit. And so how do we express this today? How do we express a mutual love? How do we be a church that is mutually loving towards other people, towards uh, not just, you know, leaders and, and whatnot, but, uh, but towards one another? How can we express love today towards one another in a simpler way that as we think about these things, then we don't want to miss the opportunity Maybe you've been meaning to sell, tell somebody that you serve with. If you're on, a, on a, a, a ministry team, maybe that person that you serve with, maybe this is your opportunity to, to express your, your love and your concern for them and, and how they are doing in the Lord. Maybe it's not, maybe it's just, maybe you can tell if your kids are in Redemption Kids, maybe you can tell them your, your love and, and uh, support and encourage them as they uh, are with your children there. But here's a, here's a thing, as you begin to cultivate this, if you've thought it twice, go and say it, right? If you've thought about that person, like, oh man, I should really tell that person. Oh man, that's, uh, you noticed something. Oh, they did a great job. Or man, I've, I've noticed maybe they're down or they've been missing. Go and ask them, go and text them. That's what we want to be, a church that is mutually caring for one another. Why? Why is there mutual love? Because our final point here, because love desires one another's growth. And I've been saying this uh, as we've been going here. It's the, the point throughout it all, but they desire it and they pray for it, right? To the one who causes growth. You see this in verses 9 and 10 as this ends here? Here's the real heart, right? Here is the heart that love desires another's growth. That we desire, true biblical love desires others' holiness more so than one another's happiness. It's not just oh, whatever's going to make you happy, but it's whatever's going to make you holy, more like Christ. All right? And, and obviously, that's, we're not meant to be miserable or anything, but holiness is a trump card. We desire one another's growth. Look at what we mean by that. Look at here in, in the verse here. See, he's, he says, I'm going to be praying for you. This is verse 9. This Thanksgiving, the prayer starts with Thanksgiving. It's fueled by joy, and it takes place around the clock. See that? He's praying earnestly night and day. Remembering him in the evening, remembering in the morning. It's not necessarily that he's 24-7 on his knees praying for them, but they're on his mind constantly. When, they're, when, when uh, they come to mind, he is praying for them continually. And what's he asking? What's he asking here? Do you see this? That we can see you again, right? That's the request. He's praying with thanksgiving. He's praying with joy that God is working in him, but he still wants to see him and that the discipleship would continue. You see that there as verse 10 ends and supply what is lacking in your faith. This is not a, a love that's just content to leave us where we are, but it's as if we, you're seeing the potential in us. You know, picture again the flower. We can be appreciative of every stage as it grows, you know, from little sapling all the way up. But our desire, our love for people desires to see that bloom, bloom, realizing that there's beauty and things yet to come. And really, this is, this is a pastor's number one concern. It's Paul's number one concern for the Thessalonians. It's my concern for you is I want to see you growing in the faith. This is the, the topic of my prayers. This is why I'm thankful for you. It's what brings me uh, the, uh, the greatest joy here in pastoring and shepherding you because it all ties back to discipleship, a love for the people that is growing in the faith, that sees people doing well and making decisions to follow the Lord. 
And so how does, that, how does that happen? This all ties back to discipleship, doesn't it? It all ties back. Discipleship is love for one another. It begins with knowing the status, right? That's why he sends people. That's why he wants to be there with them. But also where are they headed and the next step to get there. And that takes willingness and earnestness on both sides, right? That's what true, genuine love for others is about. It desires, love desires growth. And we want to be a church that sees people making those steps towards Christ's likeness. That's what it's all about. That's why we say we're a disciple-making church. That's why what we put our energy into. That's why we have the steps, right? Step one, step two, step three, because that's a, a, a vehicle for those things. And that's why we have a membership process so we can get to know uh, one another. And so you can declare, yes, I, I am a believer. Yes, I am a part of this church. Yes, and, and that tells me then I, I know that you want me to pastor you and you want to be a part of this church. Do you want to be a part here? Because that's just the vehicle for that to happen. That's why we have small groups where we can share these things, where we desire one another's growth and application of God's word. And so I'll just tell you that today is like I've mentioned already, step one is after the church or after the service here for 10 minutes right out there. And uh, that's, if you haven't connected with us in that way, we would love to do that. Tell you what God's doing in here and how you can be a part of this if you're serious about growing in Christ. And that's why we have small groups, like I've said, all these things things. This is what love does. Love adjusts, love trusts, love mutually cares, and love desires the growth in one another, each spiritual, uh, their spiritual growth. A church built with love is a place I want to be. Do you want to be in a, a church like that? Do you want to be in a church there where love is the glue that keeps people together? Regardless of what they look like, regardless of age, regardless of whatever, but the way ahead for us is to be a church built with love. And so I am thankful that that exists here. I'm thankful for the love that you show me and show one another. And let's continue to excel still more at growing in our love for the Lord and one another. And that will set us apart and please the Lord and be a great blessing in our life. Church built with love is a place I want to be. You want to be there? Good. Let's pray.